about to listen to a sermon from Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church. As a church, we want to see whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out His freedom. Titus chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. You must teach what is in accord with sound doctrine. Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled and sound in faith, in love and in endurance. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can train the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind and to be subject to their husbands so that no one will malign the word of God. Similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled. In everything, set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. Teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything, to try to please them, not to talk back to them, and not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted, so that in every way they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. Well, the idiot by Dostoevsky uh, opens in a room of aristocratic women, and one of them brings in a portrait of a stunning woman who is of misrepute, and she kind of puts it above the room and asks people about it. One of the women looks up at the painting and says, beauty like that could turn the world upside down. Uh, It's from that phrase that the quote has come from Dostoevsky, that beauty will save the world. And what a word for a world like ours. I don't know how your social media looks, but mine looks ugly. I don't know what you think the world looks like right now, but I think it looks ugly. And I don't know what you think people think about Christianity right now, but I think a lot of people in our world think it's ugly. But when we look at Titus 2 today, what we learn is that the gospel is able to create a beauty in this world that could really turn the ugliness upside down. Titus is convinced that the teaching, that the gospel itself can produce a goodness and beauty in people that could really be transforming for the whole world. That's what I want to have a think about with you this evening. There's four things we're going to do. We're going to look at two things about what beauty looks like, and then we're going to ask two questions about it. Two things about what beauty looks like, then we're going to ask two questions. How is it that Uh, The gospel could produce a beauty that turns the world upside down. Okay, two things about beauty. The first thing, what does beauty look like? Beauty looks like steadiness. 
Have a look. Chapter 2, verse 1, he talks about, Paul talks about how uh, to teach what is in accord with sound doctrine. And what do you get? Straight up with the old man. We go through categories, and the old man start there to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, and sound in faith, in love, and in endurance. You see, our world today, when it thinks of beauty, thinks about people who have a high platform and a big megaphone and lots of power. We think beauty comes from persuasiveness and voice. But beauty for Paul is about steadiness. It's about the gravitas that comes from self-controlled and temperate character. The old men are to have this deep weightiness, not from their accomplishments, but from who they are. So too the older women. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live. Literally, it says to act priestly, to act holy, to carry around with themselves a sense of venerableness and weightiness and to be steady in self-control. Likewise, Titus to set an example to others in teaching what is good. There to be people who, who from the weight of their own character teach and instruct and grow that character in others. When I think about this verse, I think about my, my grandfather who was a Christian. A lot of my family isn't, but he, but he is. And he was uh, an architect who's made some of the beautiful buildings in the city. Uh, he was a, a great painter who has had paintings in the, the Gallery of New South Wales. Uh, and other galleries. But you know what? When I was growing up, no one told me anything about any of those things. No one's ever pointed out to me a building that he made. No one's ever told me which painting actually made it into the gallery. I only found out recently that he was a president of a prestigious art society. What everyone told me about was the sheer weight of his character. The steadiness with which he went about life. The fact that he wasn't pushed around by desires in himself or by desires of people outside, but steadily went at life. He was the same person in every place, and his character carried a gravitas of presence. Ever since I've learned about my grandfather, my prayer has been to be like him. Oh Lord, make me the same person in every place, in every way, in every angle, alone, private, public, and grow in me the weight of steadiness. You know these people whose beauty comes from their steadiness? You can't life hack character like that. There aren't nine steps. Um, Paul talks about how this grows through being sound in faith, in love, and in endurance. In verse 2, with the older men. It comes from the day in and day out, constant, unfailing willingness to back up again. I'm going to trust again today. I'm going to endure again today. I'm going to love again today. I'm not going to be driven by what's inside me or what's enticing around me, but in self-control, I'm going to become a steady, beautiful person. That's what the gospel breeds in people. Firstly, it breeds a steadiness. 
But the second thing that's through um, this whole chapter is not just a steadiness, but beautiful people get on with it. They get on with their responsibilities, with the things that God has placed in their life around them. They get on with doing good. They are fully present to what God has placed before them. You see this first off in the passage with the older women. They are instructed to stop drinking and slandering people. It's, it's a Greek island, right? Great. I'm sure there were a lot of parties. Stop partying and get on with it. Use the weight of your character to instruct younger women in the way they should go. Get on with it. You've got a task to do. You've got a responsibility. Do it. Uh, he speaks of the younger women and, and, and what the older women are to teach them. And what's laid out for here is not just a, a kind of a gendered role, but is uh, they're instructed to tell the younger women to get on with it. To get on with the things that were placed into their hands, which was a husband and a wife and, and the tasks of the economic household that were put mainly into their hands. They were to get on with those things both the relational and economic realities in their life, and to just be fully present and do them well. Now, you as a young woman in the, in the house this evening may have a very different set of things placed in your hands. Maybe you really would like those set of things, actually. But God's given you something else instead. Can I say, I think the word is still the same. Just, just go on with it. Take hold of the responsibilities that God has given you. Both to young women and young men, I think that is the call this evening. You know, what do you do with your home life, with your, your, your share house mates? Do you make that a home? Do you get on with relationship with them? Are you just passing the time or are you embedding into them with love? You know, are you, are you taking hold and making this place your home? You know, I know a lot of people walk into this place and they're like, I just don't feel at home here. Do you know the secret about CIG? No one feels at home. Everyone came from somewhere and they're going somewhere. And the person next to you, they feel just as not at home as you do. What you have to do with them is make this home. Get on with it. Get on with the relational things around you in your house and in the God's house that he's placed in your hand and, and throw yourself into them. Beautiful people, get on with it. But just before we move on, it's worth just spending a moment looking at one of the phrases there that I think doesn't taste good to us. Uh, Paul calls for the younger women to be subject to their husbands. And you might be mad, I was with you through a lot of that, but being subject, that's not something that's beautiful ever. And I'm not sure I can deal with this whole picture if that picture is a part of it. And I can understand that. Because you might have seen and experienced where that is used as a way of pushing women down, of treating them as less than the dignity that God has given them. Uh, you, you might have seen that abused apparently as a kind of a forced means, a coercive means of control. But that is not here. And you don't have to think that that is what this is talking about. 
being subject here, it's not all women to all men, first of all, but it's a wife to her husband, not forcibly, but willingly. But on the one hand, you might be thinking, well, I've never seen this be a positive, beautiful thing. How can I know that that could actually be a way for things to flourish? That this pattern of biblical life. And I can understand that too. But you know what? This, the marriage in the Bible is modeled after. It's modeled after Christ and his church. And being subject to Christ is the most stunning and beautiful thing imaginable. Because do you know how, you, he, how he wins you under his wing? Not through coercion or power or might or strength or force, but through tender, dying, self-sacrificial love. And if you're unsure about how that could be beautiful, don't look at the fallen examples around you. Look at him. But the other category of people here who are told to get on with it are the slaves. Paul says, teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything, to try and please them, not to talk back to them, not to steal from them, but to show them that they can be fully trusted. Can you imagine this? Paul's saying to the slaves, I know know it's probably not easy, but God has placed you somewhere and you are just to get on with it. Be fully present to the task and the place that God has given you. Do it honestly. Do it beautifully. In a way that arouses the curiosity of your master and the curiosity of fellow slaves and the curiosity of the world around you. You can start to see how beauty like that might start to turn the world upside down. The vision of work that Paul has here is massively different to the one of our culture our culture on the one hand says you've got to find work that is self-fulfilling that really ticks your internal desires and boxes and on the other hand says well if you can't find that then find something where you know you're influencing the world paul says it's not about self-fulfillment it's not about leveraging things to do good it's just about getting on with it It's about going, this is the place that God has put me and I'm going to be fully present to the people and the task that he has given me. And friends, if you do that in your workplace, even if it's complicated and difficult, and I'm sure it is, that will begin to arouse the curiosity of the people around you. That is where good work gets done. You know, there was a woman in America, Serena, whose space of responsibility was literally three meters by three meters. Her job was to stand at the end of the cash register and pack the bags and pass them on through. And she did that day after day throughout her whole life. She'd bag them, she'd greet people, and she'd do it with such enthusiasm And she'd remember every single person's name and and follow up from the last time. And say she'd pray for people. And she was so good at it that she caused problems in the store. Because everyone would line up in her queue to make sure that she bagged their vegetables. And so everything got really inefficient. 
Uh, you know what? She left that behind and died years and years and years later. And there was standing room only at her funeral. Because she took her three square meters and she was fully present. She got on with it. It wasn't about self-fulfillment. It wasn't about leveraging for good. It was about being present with God, what God had given and going with that and seeing what beauty could come about because of it. And it's the same call to you today. That's the picture of the beautiful life in Titus 2, to be, become a steady person of character and to get on with it in the spheres of life he has given to you, both relational and economic. But there's two questions I want to ask about that. And the, the first one is simply this. Why does beauty matter? What's the significance of being a steady, all-in person in an ugly world like this? Well, Paul actually has a very clear reason why. Uh, he gives you three reasons, actually, in verse 5 and in verse 8. And in verse 10, and it's simply this, beautiful lives beautify the gospel. Beautiful lives beautify the gospel. Have a look, verse 5. Why to be self-controlled and pure? Why? So that no one will malign the word of God. And verse 8, so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about you. And the kicker in verse 10, and in that way you will make the teaching about God, our Savior, attractive. Literally, you will beautify the teaching about God, our Savior. Beautiful lives make the gospel beautiful. They beautify it. They adorn it. And you get, the first of all, the point of verse 5 and verse 8, don't you? That Christians who aren't steady and who lack integrity, especially in their workplaces, do the Word of God great harm. Because for a lot of people, they know nothing about Jesus until they meet you and you say you're a Christian and then they observe how you live. And if your life is riddled with the ugliness they see everywhere else, then that gets attached to the Word of God. Our moral failings can malign the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is why beauty matters. Titus is told uh, in verse 8 uh, and 7, actually, that he's to speak in such a way that he has integrity and seriousness. He's, he's to speak so carefully that no one can pick holes in his character or in what he says. Because if they can do that, then they'll take aim at the good news of Jesus Christ. You see, you in your workplace, you are the example of what the gospel is. Your life, ugly or beautiful, will speak in your workplace, in your uni, in your apartment block. Christians are just an idea in someone's head until they meet you. And so Paul says, actually, the opposite is true. 
Can you imagine this? Slaves who are fully trustworthy, who go all in on their task, no matter how meaningful or, or desperate. He says, do you know what that is? That makes the gospel look good. It beautifies the gospel. Literally, it's the word that we get our word cosmetics from. You know, if you live a beautiful life, you are the gospel's eyeliner. I don't really know what that means, really. <laughs> you know, you're the, the lights under the car, you know, that, that go down. I don't even know what that's about. You know, you are the thing that makes someone else look better. And this is a really important point. Good, a good, beautiful life is not the gospel. It's the result of the gospel. It makes the gospel look good. Your fine life, your beautiful eyeliner, uh, it's not you, but it highlights you. Good, beautiful lives highlight the beauty of the gospel. Your life could make the gospel appealing to someone who up to now has only found it ugly. Your life could be the turning point for them. They need to have it explained to them still. But your life could beautify it, could make it attractive. You see, your life is the life in which the kingdom of God is tasted. It's in the good deeds of room for many, in the good deeds of loving our neighbor around us, in the beautiful life of steadiness and going all in that people taste the gospel so that when they hear it, it is all the more easy to believe. Why does beauty matter? Because it points to the gospel. And it could mean the difference between belief and not. Your beauty really could turn the world upside down. But the second question is this. How come we aren't beautiful? If beauty is so important, steadiness, going at life fully, How come we are so inconsistent? How come really most of work we're checked out, our responsibilities, our relationships, we're half-hearted at best? What's with that? Why aren't we beautiful? Why uh, are we so self-centered? Let me explain it to you this way. My grandfather, he's got two goes tonight. Good on you, mate. Brian. I was a painter, uh, and he lived down at Balmoral Beach. Uh, and I don't know if you've been at Balmoral Beach. It's one of the most beautiful beaches in Sydney. And there's this moment at the end of every day at Balmoral Beach, just as the sun is going down, that the water, when it's calm enough, becomes, I don't know how to describe it, it becomes like a gray piece of silk over the water. It is just Stunning. And my mom tells this story of how every day my grandfather would go down to the water with his watercolors and he'd try and paint the color. And day after day after day after day, and mom said he could never do it. But every day he would be down there trying. You see, the thing about beauty is that beauty is the thing that makes beauty. 
It's the stunning silver silk over the water that entranced my grandfather's heart so that he started to paint the same thing. And until you start seeing something so beautiful that it is worth tracing and replicating, that it is worth taking hold of at cost of anything, that you will become beautiful. And that is exactly Paul's point as he goes on to in verse 11. We'll talk about it next week. He says, do you know, do you know how all of this is possible? All of this beauty. Why? Why will this happen? Verse 11, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men because something so beautiful has been seen on the earth that when you see it and when you trace it, And when you really grasp it, you start to be like it. And the reason we are not beautiful is because our hearts have not yet seen it as it fully is. The grace of God that uh, Paul is talking about is the Lord Jesus, who really was the only beautiful life imaginable, who was steady at every moment, in every way, in every place, public and private, and who went all in on the task that God had given him in every place to every person at every time. And yet, do you know how Isaiah describes him? He had no beauty or majesty. He was despised and rejected, a man of suffering, familiar with pain. See, the grace of God is that the only beautiful person became ugly so that you might become beautiful. He bore in himself, in his body on the cross, the consequence of your lack of integrity and your failure to fulfill your tasks. As to the extent that the grace of God has appeared before you and you trace it daily like my grandfather, that you will begin to replicate it in your own life. When you see that as beautiful, as something worth passing on to others, that your life will start to beautify that message and lead others to it. Will you pray with me? Oh, Father, we come recognizing that the good news of Jesus has not yet done the work in us that you long for it to. That we are all about appearance rather than substance. And we are thinking about our self-fulfillment rather than going all in with the stuff you've given us. And Father, we want to be different. But we know that the the, the power isn't in us. It is in Jesus. And we pray that the eyes of our heart would be able to trace the beauty of Jesus who became ugly, that we might become beautiful. And that we might grow in our hearts His steadiness. And that by His self-sacrificial death that went all in on us, we might go all in on the people around us 
and the tasks you have given us. And that all of our life might beautify the great message of your grace. Pray in Jesus' name. listening to the Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church podcast. For more audio content and information about our church, please visit neac.com.au.